0: what is fundamental truth is that the Ukrainians are fighting for all of us. And everybody who believes in freedom and democracy and peace need to really appreciate what the Ukrainians have done Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the
1: foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Earlier this month, the United States Senate passed a foreign aid bill that included about $60 billion for Ukraine's defense. The vote was overwhelmingly bipartisan, But the ultimate fate of continued American aid for Ukraine now depends on action in the House of Representatives where the outcome is unknown because of opposition, largely from Republicans. Mounting uncertainty around America's commitment to Ukraine's defense comes at the two-year anniversary of Russia's invasion. The apparent wavering today is a far cry from the overwhelmingly broad support for Ukraine in the early days of the war. So how did we get to this point? And how might the passage or not of a spending bill to support Ukraine's defense impact the trajectory of the war and the transatlantic alliance that has emerged for Ukraine's defense? Joining me to discuss these questions and more is Peter Van Prague president of HFX, a Washington, D.C.-based organization that convenes the Halifax International Security Forum. We kick off discussing the action in the United States Congress before having a broader conversation about the necessity of international support for Ukraine and the implications should that support waver. On a personal note, this is probably like the fifth episode since November that somehow is tied to my participation in the Halifax International Security Forum. Super valuable for me professionally and also for you as a podcast listener. So thanks to HFX for putting on a great conference each year. And just one quick announcement. As you know, every so often, I like to tell you about a podcast I think you'd enjoy, Disorder is a weekly podcast from Goalhanger Podcasts, the UK's number one independent podcasting company and the makers of the rest is history and the rest is politics. The Disorder Show, which is co-hosted by Middle East expert, Jason Pack and former British ambassador, Alex Hall Hall, tries to make sense of our mad, mad world. In recent episodes, they've heard the moving story of Evgenia Karamurza, democracy advocate and wife of Russia, opposition leader, Vladimir Karamurza, who I should say I met at Halifax this last year. They also spoke to Sir Geoffrey Adams, former British ambassador to Iran about his time there, and to Miles Taylor, author of the famous anonymous New York Times op-ed, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. You can find Disorder wherever you find your podcasts or by following the link in the show notes of this episode. Now here is my conversation with Peter Van Praeg, president of HFX. So Peter, we are speaking not long after the U.S. Senate voted overwhelmingly to advance a foreign aid bill that would provide about $60 billion for Ukraine's defense. The ultimate fate of the bill is unclear because of opposition in the House of Representatives, but what stood out to you about the Senate vote, which was an important first hurdle?
0: I do think that having the Senate vote overwhelmingly in favor of the support is a good sign. Before i sort of give you my interpretation of where we are, I just do think that it's important to emphasize how important getting American support back on track to Ukraine is for American security. I think many of your listeners will understand what I mean by that, but let me just connect the dots just very quickly. Security in the United States, our security in North America is dependent on the security of a few fundamental things. This has been true since the end of World War II, and this has happened now. It happened in Pearl Harbor, and it happened on September 11th. It's very important for young Americans, but also for everybody in Congress to really understand that the United States is secure when our allies are secure, and that is something, whether the United States likes it or not, the world and our allies and democracy and freedom everywhere depends on american leadership. Putin's criminal invasion 2 years ago this month of Ukraine caught everybody by surprise even though you know we should have known it was coming. I was actually in Kiev the day that the war began.
1: What was that experience? I mean, did it catch you by surprise in Kiev on that day?
0: I flew in the day before the invasion specifically to signal my organization's support for Ukraine. At that time, the Ukrainians and the Americans were telling the world that there was going to be an invasion. And in fact, I went to the president's office and they said, you know, you're the last one in, everyone else has left. And their steadfastness that day was really reassuring to me. The president was in the office next door of the meeting that I was in. I met with his National Security Advisor Danilov, who has been running everything, hasn't left the country since the war began. And he reassured me, he said, the Russians are coming, they're going to invade, but we are going to stand and we are going to win. That night, the war began. I could hear it outside my window and I could hear it on the TV simultaneously. Then I made my way out of the country. You know, We heard live fire, we saw tanks, the whole thing to get out of the country. But that steadfastness, Mark, that the Ukrainians demonstrated two years ago has not wavered. We don't know exactly how many dead Ukrainians there are, but there are way too many dead Ukrainians, soldiers, professional soldiers, volunteer soldiers, conscripted soldiers, and civilians. So many civilians who have been targeted by Putin's armies deliberately, and the Ukrainians have stood firm bravely. What is fundamental truth is that the Ukrainians are fighting for all of us, and everybody who believes in freedom and democracy and peace need to really appreciate what the Ukrainians have done. If they had just folded over, Putin would have divided the NATO alliance. All of us would have been paralyzed. We wouldn't have known what to do, but it's because of Ukrainian resolve and Zelensky's leadership that the NATO Alliance and frankly, democracies everywhere have stood firm in mm-hmm. supporting Ukraine and it has to continue. So it was that
1: steadfastness and it was the resolve that I think underscored a lot of the points you were making earlier that the defense of Ukrainian democracy is crucial to American national security and that you know message seemed to resonate really really deeply across the political spectrum here in the United States for a while but it's faded since mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. and that kind of broad based support for ukraine that was there two years ago is no longer there and i'm curious to learn from you like what's your diagnosis Of why that is, how we went from being so solid across the board in defense of Ukraine to the point where we don't know. I I couldn't tell you the chances that the House might pass a bill providing Ukraine with the defense it needs.
0: Mark, the House is going to pass this thing. It's going to be painful. Um, um, But um, if, if they don't pass it, there really is too much at stake. You know, Winston Churchill said, you know the americans do the right thing after they've tried everything else mm-hmm. and so the americans are having a conversation with themselves and the new speaker of the house is going to have to figure this out
1: you're convinced
0: they'll pass it
1: and that's certainly like a chance but it's not like you know if i was betting it'd be like i don't know a long shot bet but it's not certainty so why is it why is it so
0: so controversial yeah, let me tell you what i how i think we got here and and that is number 1 the ukrainians you know, I hate to say this, but it happens to be true. Prior to the defense of Kiev and Zelensky standing firm and looking at the camera and saying, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition, there was not any type of confidence or certainty among NATO leaders that Ukraine would stand firm. And then when Ukraine did stand firm, the President of the United States, the United States Congress, the American people, And the Canadians, the European allies, everybody understood what was at stake and that they had to stand firm and isolate Russia. And it really was a remarkable moment. Then through 2022 and into the fall, people were surprised by the Russians being stalled and the Ukrainian advances. And then we live in a world of instant gratification and somehow, somewhere, We understood that it was actually going to be easy for Ukraine to defeat the Russian military, and our patience ran out. There were huge expectations that this counteroffensive that was broadcast in 2023 was going to be overwhelming to the Russians without really taking into account how dug in the Russians had become over the winter last year and how difficult this was really going to be. And so expectations were raised that Ukraine was sort of on the path to victory with all of our contributions, military and financial contributions. And then there led a disappointing summer and early fall. And it was only disappointing because expectations had been raised so high that somehow this counteroffensive was going to break through. But that hasn't been fair. It's not a fair assessment of everything that the Ukrainians have done by all really objective measures, what Ukraine has done to stand firm for two years now and prevent the Russians from taking large swaths of the country is really outstanding. And so what we have to do now is we have to have a realistic assessment and understand that war is hell, war is hard, and sometimes, sadly, war is necessary. And this is one of these wars that is necessary and victory is necessary. And the United States has been saying and its allies have been saying that they will support Ukraine for as long as it takes. Well, here we are, everything's at stake right now and the United States has to demonstrate, really has to demonstrate to not only the Ukrainians, but to all of our European allies and and beyond. We've got to demonstrate to China that the United States is not messing around, that it's a serious country, that it does what it says it's gonna do, and that it's gonna defend freedom and democracy abroad. I guess I'm
1: struck by your diagnosis that you omitted. I don't know if it was purposely or not like internal Republican dynamics, which seemed to be a really important driver of this wavering support. You know, I know that you and the late Senator John McCain were close friends and you look at someone like Lindsey Graham, who at one point Lindsey Graham and John McCain were like two peas of an ideological pod, but now, you know, just, Yesterday, uh, Lindsey Graham voted against this bill. Yeah. And it seems that, like, the momentum in terms of internal Republican dynamics is not on the side of supporting Ukraine.
0: I'm happy to talk about this, and I'm not shying away from it. Lindsey Graham's vote was a disgrace. Marco Rubio's vote was a disgrace, and other Republicans. But these Republicans are legislators who have said that they stand for freedom and democracy and for American leadership in the world. And so, the point that I was making with Ukraine not being successful in its counteroffensive is then, I think, Mark, what opened up the possibility for debate inside the United States and specifically inside the Republican Party. And Donald Trump, who's the Republican candidate for president, in all, you know, he, he's going to be the candidate. As Ukraine was being successful pushing back Russia, it was politically difficult, if not impossible, to criticize Ukraine. Once Ukraine appeared that Ukraine slowed down, then Mr. Trump could then take advantage of that position and make it more politically palatable to undercut the Ukrainians altogether. And then that is then, as you're suggesting, in turn, what has led now to some Republicans, To just take their spine out of their body and leave it on the floor, I do have to point out that the Republican leader in the Senate, Senator McConnell, is the one who drove this forward and ensured that it got the votes that it needed, and not just Democratic votes. I wanted to
1: turn to the political dynamics in Europe regarding Ukraine aid. You know, I know you're an observer and and a participant in European diplomacy, and It was just earlier this month that the EU was able to agree to a 50 euro package for Ukraine. What did it take
0: to reach that deal? Well, there's near unanimity. I mean, look, and just to go back, you know, as I'm painting a picture in the United States and also in Europe, I disagree with the votes that some Republicans made. But of course, you know, the United States is a democracy, And all of their votes have they've got to take into account, you know, what's most important for their constituents and their states and whatnot. I do think that understanding America's leadership role in the world and trying to convince and explain America's leadership role to the citizens of South Carolina, to the citizens of Florida, is something that, for example, Senator McCain always tried to do, who was from Arizona. And I think that we are missing Senator McCain's voice right now because he really could connect the world to America, and that's something that that others really haven't been able to do since we've lost Senator McCain. But the same is true in Europe, except for the fact that the Europeans are closer to the action, and so it is with near unanimity that Europe supports increased contributions to Ukraine, Hungary. Prime Minister Orbán slowed this down and I don't want to guess into you know just how close Orbán is to the Kremlin and there's you know there's speculation about this that and the other but Hungary is a member of the European Union and it is a country it's got less than 10 million people and I think that you know as is done in politics <laughs> I think that Hungary was taken into a back room and read the Riot Act and explained you know, some of the tools that could be implemented against Hungary should it not fall in line, and Hungary then fell in line. From my understanding of it, I don't think any, any new promises were made to Hungary. I just think that, that it was explained to Hungary what the expectations were, and it was done in a more straightforward way than it had been previously.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to me that when you look at right wing nationalism in Europe, whether it's like Maloney in Italy or Orban. Maloney's been good. Well, that's my question. You know, like Orban reluctantly agreed. Maloney has been, you know, out front and was, by most accounts, the one who successfully convinced Orban to agree to this package. Yet, you know, their counterparts here in the United States, the kind of MAGA Republicans, are not that committed to Ukraine. And that dichotomy uh, I find interesting.
0: Well, the difference really is, and and we don't know the reason, is, but the difference really is Donald Trump. And Donald Trump has a worldview that everybody knows is not consistent with the Republican Party prior to Donald Trump. And so he is remaking the worldview of the Republican Party, and it is something that people like me who believe in American leadership, who believe in American strength, who believe in American victory, don't agree with. I simply don't agree that the way that Mr. Trump handles and relates to America's allies is the right way to go. And I don't think that the United States will benefit from it. It's just a disagreement.
1: So I know you are convinced that the House of Representatives will indeed pass this bill to
0: include Ukraine aid. You know, it's not like a sure bet though. Absolutely it's not and I don't want to pretend that I'm not worried. But again, the United States is is the United States and people, you know, pointed out more often recently than than in the past, democracy is a messy business. I just You know, people don't need Peter Van Praeg to tell them just how important passing this legislation is.
1: Yeah, but I I do want your views on what not passing this this legislation would look like, what it would mean for both Ukraine's defense and also, more broadly, for the transatlantic alliance that has coalesced around
0: Europe's defense. I would say it goes beyond transatlantic alliance. So number one is this will put Ukraine in a very, very difficult spot. And because the Ukrainians are fighting, they are dying, they are hungry, they are cold. They've been doing this for two years and part of what has driven them is knowing that the United States and the American people stand behind them. That is a really a reassuring aspect of the fight and that is something that is really important to everybody everybody who believes in freedom all around the world looks to the United States as its model and as the strength behind it and and so it's going to be a tragedy for the Ukrainian people but the Ukrainian people as they've already shown and there was no guarantee of what the United States was going to do when they stood firm in February 2022 the Ukrainian people are not going to wave a white flag and surrender the the Ukrainians are going to be fighting with every last bullet, they'll be fighting with sticks, they'll make their own ammunition, they'll make their own bombs, and this will turn into a very bloody and violent conflict. Essentially, you know, the Ukrainians have already essentially destroyed the entire Russian military. I mean, this has been the best deal that the United States military has had since, frankly, the American Revolution, that our ally, Ukraine, without a a single American casualty, has essentially taken out the military of one of our main adversaries. And so this is an incredible investment for Americans, and the Ukrainians have done an incredible job saving all of us. And I don't believe that they're gonna stop fighting. So that's number one. Number two, the Europeans, and especially the American skeptics, are just gonna throw up their hands and say, we told you all along, the United States is not a reliable partner. We're in this alone, and we're going to see a split with those Europeans who are going to be committed to freedom and democracy and those Europeans who are not. And there's going to be a battle then for the loyalty of some European countries between Russia and between China. And then those very United States senators who didn't support this bill because of issues related to Ukraine have to be aware of the message this sends to China. And this essentially tells China that the United States are not going to defend its allies for the long haul, that the Americans will be in it for show, and then when things get tough, they're going to pack up and go home with their tail between their legs. And that's really a message of retreat, and that is what Donald Trump wants to demonstrate to the world. You know, Donald Trump foreign policy is essentially admitting that the Americans don't have the courage to stay in the fight.
1: Peter, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your
0: time. Mark, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Global Dispatches. The show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg. It is edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to follow the show and enable automatic downloads to get new episodes as soon as they're released. On Spotify, tap the bell icon to get a notification when we publish new episodes. And of course, please visit globaldispatches.org to get on our free mailing list, get in touch with me, and access our full archive. Thank you.